Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Listen to <clears throat> something that really got, got into me and it's all on energy management. And what was really refreshing to me is the fact that, you know, we can own our energy management and what I mean by that is like, say you're having kind of a crappy afternoon, you can change your state, you know, change your energy level by just uh, putting more effort into kind of what do I need to cultivate this energy? So I, yesterday I woke up, kind of listened to this podcast, read a little bit about it, got all fired up. And then the rest of the day, I was just really trying to push my energy a little bit harder to do things in it. It re- I mean, it worked yesterday. I wasn't sure if that's the honeymoon phase of this whole thing. So we'll, we'll catch back up. But it really, I think, changed my mindset on how I think of it. And what the big shift was is instead of being more re- reactive, so letting other people impact my mood and energy, you know, like we have the ability to do that. So that was, that was something I've been trying it again and, you know, like, you don't, you don't sleep well. And I know this is something that we've been doing growing up, but I just think it helped to focus on it for a day or two. Um, that helped me a ton. So just as far as like actually putting your energetic kind of expression as top of mind, as far as like, I'm going to focus on me being a particular expression like yes okay so like that's a great question so a good example is like in the morning i'm going to be a little more contemplative oh sure you know and not trying to you know grab the dog by the or the bull by the horns but when when i you know move into more of my day which yesterday was like cleaning the garage out and just doing a ton of stuff, it really getting the energy up. And, you know, the simple way I found was just, just going and doing it and really trying to continually push that up. So it's just how, like thinking about what do I want to bring to the table right now and bringing that to the table. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's uh, like goes hand in hand with setting an intention, you know, in the beginning of the day or whatever it is, as far as like um, just actually saying it as opposed to just being a person that goes through life in a particular state that's like largely unpredetermined, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, It makes a ton of sense to do on a day-to-day basis. It, It probably, yeah. well, I mean like sports people are the biggest kind of, proponent of you know there's visualization about winning and hoisting the trophy or making the shot or whatever it is so um it's interesting to apply that to like cleaning the garage you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah what energy is needed to bring my best to clean the garage (laughs) yeah but it also so i've been kind of obsessed with this idea of like one percent better um Mm. so like if you cleaned the garage 1% better, 
relative to perhaps had you not set the intention or whatever it is for you as far as like mm-hmm. self-development goes. Um, think about the compound interest from changing 1% of your life every day mm-hmm. in every activity mm-hmm. that you do. It's remarkably large. If you could take it- 1% of your overall time a day and change it from whatever used to be the negative expression of it. Maybe you're too judgmental. Maybe you're, you know, too hard on yourself. Maybe you're too hard on other people. What if you could just prevent yourself from doing that negative pattern 1% less, or I mean, 5% would be life-changing. Yep. 1%. And so I've been like, I love this, this idea of how, how easy it is to have just compound effects of um, what you do to improve your life because so much of the self-improvement stuff can sometimes feel like additional things that you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes I have difficulty getting motivated by a lot of self-development stuff because I'm just like, oh, geez, I'm already worn out and now I got to do more shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I don't know, I've been obsessed with that idea of like, almost doing less actually. And instead of doing, um, you know, that thing more frequently, I'm trying to just, you know, do it one to 5% less and then be okay with the compound effects of that and not like beat myself up that I'm not doing 10%. You know, what, uh, what's an example? Do you have an example of like something? Definitely. Um, most of it comes with the expression of like my negative behaviors. So mm-hmm. like me being not, and it's super easy to think about in the context of my relationship, because um, I'm probably, or, or in work really, um, but in my relationship, I think it's easier because you get such immediate feedback for when you're an asshole, you know? <laughs> so, you do? Yeah. <laughs> so. Learned that lesson this morning at a, <laughs> like a, a, gut, a, a gut check or some heat check, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, So for me, it's like, you know, I oftentimes don't communicate my emotions very well. So like, how much different would your life be if instead of shying away from that, um, you know, one time I decided to actually say what was on my mind, as opposed to just assuming people know what I want? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if I if I do that one to 5% more frequently, that'll be a drastic impact on how my life will change for the better. That's a great way. And what I like about the 1% is it's not, it's easy to do, you know, relatively. Cause it's not like you're asking yourself to, I'm going to go work out for an hour. It's like, how about I just do a couple more sets or like one more set, you know, one little thing more. I really like that. Yeah, it's so much more accessible. It's like, I'm going to climb the mountain one step at a time, as opposed to expecting to be running up the mountain all the time. (laughs) Yeah, like in a dead sprint. Yeah, which is just not sustainable. No, no. And I think we've, I mean, we've been pretty high achievement focused our entire life, which has been really a good thing. And, you know, it's like going back and reconsidering 
what am I doing this for? You know, how can I get a little bit better? And like you said, a lot of it could be removing some things that just don't make any sense. You know, rather than doing two hours at the gym, it's like, well, maybe I, you know, take it down a notch and try something else. You know, that's just, it's a good way to think about it. Um, yeah, just I mean, to kind of yeah. go on, go on that point. What I, what I've on the 1% is I've been trying every day to do like one little thing or one thing that I don't want to do. You know, like I, I have a hesitation of working out then I want to make sure that I like work out. Or if I have a hesitation of doing a little bit more work, I want to do, it's like just a little, try to pick like one moment in the day to do that. That's been helping me feel more motivated or more like gets the momentum going a little more. So. Yeah. Um, that I, I mean, it's a productivity hack as far as like pick the thing that you are afraid of and don't want to do the most. And that's what you should probably do first. Yep. You know, cause it's probably the highest impact thing that you're just mm -hmm. avoiding because it's the most emotionally charged or it's the most, consequential or whatever it is like yeah i've definitely noticed myself like when i have that aversion to things i it's i try to just like crush through it and be like this is a sign that it, the benefits are going to be higher for doing this activity even though it's probably going to suck mm -hmm. yep mm -hmm. it really is and it's easier to like oh i'm gonna go clean my you know like clean my room and i was so I forgot where I heard this, but somebody was talking about if you if you have something really hard that you want to work on, like let's just say you're trying to write a book, your house is going to become really clean. <laughs> because you find things of lesser value that make you feel somewhat accomplished that get you away from doing the thing you probably should be doing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is yeah. like... um. I catch myself doing that a lot. Definitely. Like, I think like organizationally, you know, like trying to keep myself organized that sometimes is a, is a distraction. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's. <clears throat> and with a house, you have so many things that you can do any time of the day. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. <laughs> there's just, you know, there's always another thing you can clean or organize and, and, you know, now we're starting to really get into let's prepare the house. Uh, so we're, we're having a, a little boy and we're, we're preparing the house for, for him. So, you know, there's so the boy train rolling. Yep. The, <laughs> so we've got, the train is hurling got down the tracks, baby. A <laughs> lot of, lot of people on the tracks. Yeah. The train yeah. is full. Oh, and speaking of, um, having a boy there's a terrific um jordan peterson video that my wife just sent me that um talked about prefrontal cortex development in young boys and rough play is critical to the development of the prefrontal cortex in rats you're and kidding then, no and then he started quoting this other and where he got there second but where he started was the uh, impact of affectionate touch on NICU babies' life expectancy or mortality oh rates. Gosh. So apparently, 
no so um NICU babies that have like three or excuse me they did the experiment in rats first they separated like a newborn rat from the mother and kept it in a cage you know separate cage with no affectionate touch and then the the Mm -hmm. rat would just die like over time even though the vitals were like fine or whatever um it would just die and then they started rubbing the rat affectionately with a pencil eraser three times a day and like drastically increased the mortality (laughs) rates so the thing was about like affectionate touch is really critical to baby's development not you know independent it's and it's immeasurable as far as like what it does you know what i mean but the presence of that affectionate touch is really critical to newborn baby development which is why like a lot of babies now that they're born they're not taken to a separate place they're immediately given to the mothers given or the fathers to have skin to skin contact because that's one of like the largest factors of contributing to the baby's mortality which is just remarkable um just shows the power what yeah yeah, go ahead no that's exactly what it does is it shows the power of the intangible elements of life Mm mm-hmm yeah, you're totally wow. right. Those little moments, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. The touch and the accept, you know, being a part of a family. And I uh, kind of on that, and that, you know, that's, there's a lot of mothers out there that are saying, I told you so right now. Oh my God. Talk <laughs> about total vindication of like, you know, things that people have known for centuries that modern medicine has just beaten out of us for whatever reason, um, you know put the baby on a ventilator and in a little tight box that doesn't have any, you know, contaminants coming towards it. And that may be a critical component too, but like human touch, you know, is, is also a really important component of the wanting to convince a newborn entity that life is worth living, (laughs) you know, like fucking a, (laughs) that is terrifying. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, Anyway, and so then Jordan Peterson starts talking about um, how like there's been a study about young boys need roughhouse play for sufficient prefrontal cortex development too. And um, I was sort of chuckling. I was like, well, we got plenty of prefrontal cortex development then because there was a lot of roughhouse play at our household. Oh my gosh, (laughs) seriously. And we, you know, there, I, there's some photos of, so, so people, listeners that don't know, there's three boys, um, two years apart. And then you and you and the, our youngest are six years or four years apart. There's a lot of rough housing growing up, yeah. a lot of rough housing. And I always recall that, like, whenever our friends would come over that didn't have, you know, brothers who fought all the time, it was, they were always just like, eyes wide open and then immediately would just dive in as far as jumping like, right in. Yep. Yep. That was a, that was a, some type of <clears throat> thing that's built in with them. Like you need to do this. I remember my a friend, my friends that didn't have younger brothers would come over and just love to wrestle with you guys. Yeah. Rough house. Play. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so and like, funny. Yeah pushing the envelope to like kind of see how far you can go and not go you know it's like 
I want to, I want to challenge myself and yourself a little. It's just a crazy, crazy thing. I remember that very, very well. <clears throat> well, so we should it, have huge prefrontal cortexes. <laughs> <laughs> so much of it is finding out what is the barrier. You know what I mean? It's like a constant gamesmanship as far as like, how hard can I hit you without super ramifications? <laughs> or if I hit you X amount hard, how much am I going to get hit back? You know, like, yep. AB like testing. Just, it's this constant game of like exploring boundaries, which I just think is so critical um, for young men, because um, that's all you do when you develop as a human in our a man in the real world is constantly figuring out like, how far can I push this boundary, this influence, this, um, you know, negotiation whatever it may be it's it's just a constant game of like boundary seeking between individuals who have usually opposing um motive not motivations but there's a lot of zero-sum games that are negotiated you know not mm -hmm. everybody believes that like the pot is infinite and if i get more that doesn't mean that means that you that you also get more i think there's more limited thinking as far as like the pot's finite so i can't give you more money because then i won't be able to get some of that when it comes time for me you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do they call that um that's zero sum game versus yep, yep. yeah and i <clears throat> i what's the the other term is like it's kind of escaping me too uh, would they compare that a lot to entrepreneurship is like, and, and a lot of mindset around people that don't actually understand money very well. They only think there's like a pie and you, yeah. know, you take half the pie. I take the other half when really in reality, you, you should be thinking about expanding the pie. And that's mm -hmm. <clears throat> what people with money, a lot of their mindset is like, how can I create more? And a lot of that is bringing people in, you know, it's like, I'm going to like, for example, so a lot of the stuff on the top of my mind right now has been growing my company. So, you know, and this is the, something that we always joke about is like, would you rather own a hundred percent of a million dollars or, you know, 5% of a billion dollars? It's like, you know, there's just different. So like growth, you have to think a little more specifically around how do I expand the entire, you know, the entire pie, which might mean giving up more, you know, it's like just making And so that conversation, I think in terms of money is like a skill that we don't teach kids. I mean, at all, you know, there's well, just like a zero, there's only so many orthopedic jobs or, you know, whatever the, the profession is, there's only so many lawyer jobs you can get. Well, the whole idea of grading on a curve is the antithesis of that type of thinking, you know, like there's only so many A's, so we're only going to give so many A's out and so many B's and so many, so many C's. So we are really conditioned to think about that. And I believe that's kind of like old world thinking, you know what I mean? That's not the way that, totally. Elon, that Elon Musk sees the opportunity in the world. That's no, a Bezos too. Yeah, that's a relic of think like about finite amount of resources, 
figuring out how to redistribute a limited number of pool of things amongst more mm-hmm. amongst people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think when, when you start getting into like how to build wealth, you know, financial freedom, those are good skills to learn. It's like, well, don't go out and try to find instead of a 15 hour dollar an hour job, you know, a 17 hour dollar an hour job. Like how can I create something of value that, you know, I can, I can teach somebody how to do. And then, you know, I've created all this value. Then they start doing it. You know, you reap some of the reward. Yeah. It's like, think differently around how to go out and obtain like money or obtain wealth. And that's something I don't think we do a good job of. Completely agree. And um, also it is important to recognize the arena in which you operate for which type of thinking you apply, because you're talking about the startup world where that thinking is absolutely what you need to be on. If you're going to go into medical school, there are only so many jobs. So yeah, it is kind of a limited game, but um, I think you could approach it differently too. Like you look at some of um, one of our younger brother's friends did medical school in St. Martin. Um, You know, there's other ways to perhaps get around some of that limited thinking as opposed to like, if you don't get in on the first try, well, maybe you look at, you know, going abroad and then perhaps applying again to get your medical license later for back in the United States. Like there, I think there's, you know, that thread, that thread of thinking can also be applied while recognizing the arena in which, you know, you are needing to apply it to. Um, And I want to talk about my transition from my current company, because this is very much one of those like limited pie things as far as, so I got a new job offer. Uh, I went back to my current client and was like, look, you know, I'm going to need X amount to um, continue working here because of this other offer. And they were like, you know, that's not going to happen. And it's so hilarious because in the transition planning, um, they're going to hire one person there, excuse me, to do the things that I'm going to do. They're hiring two new people and employing two new vendors. So they're hiring, You're kidding. Cons- they're hiring a consultant firm to come in and do a project. They're also hiring, they're going to get another organization to come in and be a vendor for them for another thing and hiring two new people. I, I estimate they're going to spend four to five times amount what I was asking on, on mm. doing all of the work that I was doing. <laughs> and so you, you, they basically like didn't re they didn't like say, okay, yeah, we're going to, we'll, we'll bump the offer up to pay you the money that you need to pay. Right. And now they're spending all this other money. Yeah. That's crazy. Four to five X is what I estimate will be in a year in a year and a half of what I asked. It's not. Well, you've said that they've had, you know, you've kind of felt the ship has been going, you know, the wrong direction. The wind is blowing them away from the destination. Yes. And these decisions, you know, you, you can, a lot of what I've, you know, a lot of what you see is just bad decision-making from people. Oh my gosh, it is so challenging. Um, The biggest thing that I've realized in the transition is it is just absolutely the appropriate time for me to leave because 
<laughs> I have such a fundamental disagreement. And I'm just like, I don't, I can't speak my mind freely. You can't, you can't actually do the work you think no. you should be doing. And then yeah. when I, and I'm just, so because of that, I'm just like, it is absolutely the time that I need to get the hell out of here because I'm not going to do anybody any favors. <laughs> I am going to be fighting battles that don't need to be, well, that are probably worth fighting, but are going to cost organizational resources. They're going to be, oh you, my God. Stress. I mean, yes, me, so much stress. And I, I don't want to wait three to five months for this transition plan that they're proposing to occur. Like, oh my God, it seems exhausting to even contemplate wow. the idea of continuing to fight these battles that we've been fighting for a year and a half. Oh mm -hmm. my God. Well, and and you, I, you've, yeah, you've been frustrated with this, this constant, you know, there's no progress from them. Yeah. And um, throughout the last few months, I've heard of some plans that will probably address some of these fundamental issues. And I do believe that these people are going to probably figure it out, but um, my heart is just so exhausted and I'm so happy to be leaving. And so it's just a, this, I wanted to share this because it's a reminder to anybody else who's like, maybe feeling like I fundamentally can't speak my mind in this arena anymore. Environment. Get the hell mm -hmm. out. <laughs> it is so what's, what's the feeling you have now? Like what, what, after you made the decision, you did, I mean, what do you feel now? I'm just trying to get liberated the people that feel like what is the what does the other side look like <laughs> i feel absolutely unburdened um i feel wow. like i feel like i used to have to fight all of the time for the ideas that i just thought that everybody should see and i continued to ask myself and i continued to ask my confidants who agreed with me like am i just really shitty at communicating because nobody else sees what I see <laughs> and, and other people were like no Adam you're not horrible at communicating there's just more work to be done and more teachings that we need to just surface with the organization and I was just like oh my god this is exhausting <laughs> that's crazy it is it's really uh, good though for you to you to take the action to get out you know that takes a lot of <clears throat> a lot of you know commitment and you know it's very unknown changing jobs extremely stressful i think they say changing jobs and moving are more stressful even sometimes than like divorce and you know like they're, they're very stressful occasions for people especially men um this is just what i've heard you know i i I've, can only experience one side of that so i know it's stressful to change a job so that was good for you to get out and it sounds like the right <laughs> the right move that's pretty um, wild yeah i really want this client to have success in long term you know figure it out but um they are making some personnel changes which i think will be critical to that success and then i when I heard about it, I was like, okay, what's the time frame?" And then the woman I was speaking with was like, well, three to five months. And I was just, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, you're going to put up with this for three to five more months. I cannot believe it. Wow. You have, wow. you have a, 
you have either a lot invested in this or like, I don't know what, but um, to have that amount of fortitude to continue, like I equate it to organizationally, like carrying an anvil up a hill all the time and in, and like teaching people how to grab the anvil and be like, actually, I think it would help if you put your hand there next time we lift and then you lift it and it goes an inch. <laughs> And then it's like every day you do that for your job. It's like, oh my God, change management is what I'm talking about. Change management is hard. Holy shit. And I suck at it apparently. So hard. <laughs> well, your change, the, the things you learn about change management, and I used to be a consultant similar to you, you have to get the top down buy-in and it's really complicated and it really, you know, it's such a nuanced, complicated decision. And if the organization doesn't want to change, they won't. Or if people that are in power, and you know, it sounds like what you've learned is they said the right things, but really doing the right things is really complicated. This is, you know, I, there's a lot of joking around that I've heard and people that are very smart about, you know, consultants today, you know, where we're spending a lot of our valuable resource on, individuals to come in, propose a plan, and then they leave, the implementation doesn't happen. It's a kind of a lot of wasted effort because it's, you know, really, what are we, what are we actually doing and changing? And some of these plans work and they do great, but I've seen, uh, change, I've seen consulting. There's just too much of it, I think. Um, and you're in a different position because you are in the organization, like trying to you know, pull all the wires and the strings and that's really difficult. So, well, I, I give you credit. One of the biggest findings that has occurred as of recent is um, I've got a couple of confidants in the organization who we agree, you know, and we talk about the direction we think that the organization should go. And um, I heard the most interesting statement the other day by one of these women who I have just tremendous respect for. She was like, and we agree like fundamentally on, on the same thing. So I, I love working with her and I'm very sad to not work with her in the future. But um, there's a, a comment that was very wise by one of the founders of the company who was like, said to her, he, was, she go, he goes, the road is long. Your opportunities to work together in the future, you know, will probably be there. You're not gonna, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you need not worry about not being able to continue to work with this individual because chances are you probably will some point in the future and it'll probably be better for both of you so i thought that was such a wise statement about like departing ways with people that you know you work really well with because that's mm -hmm. that's a hard transition in and of itself but um she said uh for um there was one guy in the organization who was carrying this torch for a long time he said a lot of things to piss a lot of people off, but I think he was speaking the truth of what needed to be heard. Um, he kind of took a step back and um, this other woman who I agree with started carrying this torch and she became the, the person internally who was like sharing and championing this message, message of like how you hold the anvil. And mm -hmm. she was like, I don't know what it is, but whenever this other guy says exactly what I say, everybody in the room just goes, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. 
and then they build off it and agree with him. And so her and mm-hmm. I were like chuckling about how 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 sucky we are at communicating because this other guy, whenever he repeats it, everybody agrees. And we were dissecting like what it is about this gentleman who, um, when he says things, people just like go along with it and they don't fight him. They then are like, okay, with intellectually leaving their, you know, their, their, their locked ivory tower. And they're okay with like trying to build towards something new. And it's just so fascinating when you find an an individual who has that effect. And one of the biggest things I learned about that engagement is like, I'm not going to be that guy all of the time to every person. And what is so critical is finding those people and having them be the champion and just, just get the hell out. Let of them that. do it. Let them mm-hmm. do it. What, what, what did he do that you, you know, you said you kind of digest, digested it. What did he do really well? I, we came up with a couple different ideas, but um, I'm also going to plug a book that I'm reading right now called Backable by Sunil Gupta because it was very timely that I was reading this book about what makes people backable. And then like, I find, you know, we start talking about this guy who has tremendous organizational influence. And so the premise of the book is basically that like, what makes people backable is their belief in themselves. There's a bunch of other things, Hmm. there's other tactics, but fundamentally it comes down to like how much you believe and how much other people believe that you believe. So mm, interesting. Um, this gentleman happens to have a background where I believe everybody never questions his credibility whatsoever. Um, he's mm. it's the healthcare industry. He was a doc. He was a medical director. He's worked in insurance. He's worked for big health systems. He's basically touched everything. And mm. he will say stuff that has been said repeatedly. And people will just agree and not question it. And it's remarkable to watch. Um, I think his delivery Mm. is extremely unthreatening. I think he talks about ideas as opposed to himself. That was the biggest conclusion that I could identify is like, whenever this guy talks, we'll just call him Ben. Whenever Ben talks, he talks about ideas. He doesn't talk about the people that do them or the people that came up with them or anything. He talks about the ideas and then he talks about the consequences and he talks about the benefits. And um, I, I don't know that I've ever, and I, and for whatever reason, he, you know, he's never, he's never threatening anybody else's ideas that were wrong because he's attacking ideas and not people. And I just think he does, he's really tactful in the way that he communicates ideas to people. So, and that's like the only thing I can even think of because I'm, it's still a bit of a mystery to me. Oh, and it's very nuanced. You know, people do a lot of, just like we're talking about with the babies, you know, like who would have thought human touch, you can't measure that. So there may be some things going on with him that you just can't measure, you know, very intellect. It's, it's a tough intellectual thing to, to understand basically. Yeah. And getting back to that backable idea, I do believe that he is a hundred percent about everything that comes out of his mouth. Mm. I never hear any expression of self of self doubt. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a really good book. Yeah. I recommend it. 
Sounds like a really good book. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> speaking of tact, um, we wanted to talk, both of our wives are pregnant right now. So speak about, you know, non-tactful communication. And I, I should be <laughs> writing a book on myself right now, because if I say one thing wrong, there's the potential for a bomb to drop. <laughs> yes. So, talk about immediate feedback. Yeah, you had said that you were thinking about chatting about uh, the, the right and wrong things to say to a pregnant woman through the eyes of a husband whose wife is currently pregnant. <laughs> yeah, so talk about like something that I deal with a lot. So I, you see the, the good things and the bad things. And one thing I will say I've noticed, and uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I said, you know, you, you know who's really good at talking to pregnant women is women that were just pregnant. Or, you know, like not ones that are currently pregnant, but ones that like have been pregnant like a couple years ago, they know exactly what to say. And I, you know, somebody asked me like, what did, what do they say? And a, the first thing is they never comment on weight ever, never. Or like, Size you know, like your skin look. Yeah. Just like big. Don't say any of those words ever or small, or small. Well, you can't say any or medium you no. can't you can't say anything about general, general size. proportions that just whatsoever <laughs> like you can't even say you exactly how you should look yeah, at that type that, space that will still be a landmine <laughs> don't just stay the mf away from that yeah. size yeah, if you even think about saying the word look go ahead and shove your yes. foot in your mouth <laughs> yep the only thing that I've, <laughs> or known, if you can say, say, look, you look beautiful. Great. You can say that. <laughs> great. You look amazing. How yeah. do you feel? Just yeah. that's it. Yeah. You can't say, oh my, you, you can embellish. say, oh my gosh, you look you, amazing. You, you get one nope. sentence. You cannot say too much, too little. Don't ask to touch the belly. Don't even <laughs> no. comment on the belly. Don't look too much at the belly. You know, don't get, it's just like, it's a thin line it is razor thin <laughs> razor thin so any the like so i was saying falling off I, the edge are, are high <laughs> they're so high you are on you are in the middle of a bridge that is very creaky and you can take one step at a time you can't <laughs> jump you can't run otherwise you are falling off or or the husband will be hearing about it later so you know one of the the things is I had no idea what to say until now to bring, you know, so I have more grace for people, uh, younger people, but still, whatever you say, you know, it does, it does, it does impact. And, um, you know, it's such a difficult time. I think in a, in a woman's life, like their body is going through so much change. It's uncontrollable for the most part, you know, like they're, it's just really, a, it's really tough. And, just like you said, keep it short. No, the only thing I'd recommend is saying, you look so great. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. That's about all you can say. That, that is about all. Uh, and what else, do you, what else do you have? Oh, man. I don't even know because I think outside of those eight words, I'm, I'm screwed. I don't even like my chances beyond <laughs> those eight words. <laughs> you know, like, uh, oh, yeah. You look great how do you feel or i guess it's seven <laughs> but mm -hmm. 
you get seven, yeah. it's got to be less than double digits is what comes out of your mouth <laughs> you get you get single digit yep. words when you're talking to a pregnant woman that's the advice that i would give so single digit amount yeah, of single words digits and then so much patience and yeah. you know touching and looking fondly and caring those are the things you need to do <laughs> yeah not a, as a husband yeah as a husband not as a not as a random person nope. but because we've had a lot of those experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean especially now but i think even in general i think making somebody uncomfortable that can make people uncomfortable basically totally. getting too close you know being too invasive you know some of the kind of you think of like the crazy aunt you know who wants to like come up and like grab and just you know just kind of settle some of her anxieties <laughs> doesn't go so great either so no yeah it's been a uh i actually texted a friend whose uh wife is further along than my wife she's probably going to give birth any day and i was like man i just really fucked up when i came home i said the wrong thing to elisa what the hell do you do and he just texts me back and he says play the long game (laughs) (laughs) i was like wise words from a man whose wife is nine and a half months pregnant play the long game <laughs> yep okay yep. <laughs> it's a marathon yeah. buckle up <laughs> yeah. oh my god so that's the only other piece of advice that i've i've figured out really but no but the, it's she's i don't know it's something seven and a half eight months pregnant and it's crazy now because you can really feel the kid inside like all the time mm. like he moves a ton and he's always active. And that is just mind blowing to me that I, the reality of like a tiny little person coming out of there is becoming very apparent. Yeah, there's somebody in there, you know, I'm in this stage right now where you know, we're kind of just getting to understand there's somebody in there, you know, that's be- it's going from what we call the stage where they're uncomfortable. I won't say the word. They think they look too big to like the bump phase which is getting better but that also is bringing on you know the fun of like oh that you know he's in there so it's it's a pretty wild time yep and we're excited and the boy train is on the tracks and the there there's another gentleman who just got on so there's a lot of energy heading (laughs) to roughhouse playtime yep we're gonna have lots of roughhouse play and the good thing is now we can encourage that Oh yeah. Research is backed. The boys should be fighting. They should be uh, fighting and they should be wrestling. Yeah. That's uh that's good to hear cuz we had plenty of that. Well, and and I you you can see it when boys are told not to be boys. And that's something that I struggle with, you know, when you see that roughhouse play being, you know, oh don't do that. Don't do this. Um that's just uh that's just something that's gonna the kid is never gonna forget and it's also gonna have a huge nope. impact on who he is as a man later in life those are really really i think that's that's just huge you know and the, that statement i think is something to kind of keep in mind and meditate on for a while um because these these things that we do in the young age do have impacts further on down the line no kidding. 
no kidding well um i think that's all we got for you today folks tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room